And there are individuals who question God. It wasn't questioning as to challenging, it's questioning as to derive understanding. How will these things be? How will I know? There is nothing wrong with questioning our faith, questioning our religion, questioning our belief. Because if our belief is built on fact, it's not gonna change. If our belief is built on truth, it's not gonna change. The things that change in our lives is when we start asking questions about certain things only to try to find out its root and to come to realize that the things that we have been taught may not necessarily align themselves with what is written. And we know that there are many of us who have practiced things based on what we've been taught that don't line up with what is written. And so when people question us, we should be able to give them fact. The faith is not something that cannot be explained. We can live it, we can explain it and demonstrate it. But in order to do that, our walk, our words, and our action must align. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. After two years of famine with five more years to go, Joseph convinces his brothers to bring Israel and all his family to Egypt. Upon their arrival in Egypt, Joseph prepares his father, Israel, and several of his brothers to meet with Pharaoh. Joseph meticulously instructs them how to answer Pharaoh's questions. Their response to Pharaoh are a part of Joseph's devised plan to get all of the members of Israel's family settled in the land of Goshen. In Goshen is where the prophecy given to Abraham years earlier would be orchestrated by Jehovah. Today's study title is From Canaan to Goshen. So, let's study. So again, we're going to be talking about from Canaan to Goshen. And just to give a recap, last week we talked about and we've said over, well, several times how Egypt has played a pivotal role in the lives of the Hebrews since the calling of Abraham. And as we've been going through the Gospels, we'll go through Matthew and we note that You know, even in the days of Yeshua, Father used Egypt to hide Messiah as he grew to get him away from Herod, who was killing all of the young boys two years and younger. And so even all the way into the New Testament, we see that Egypt played a pivotal role in the lives of the Hebrew people. As we discussed, Egypt was where Abraham was made rich. Egypt is where Hagar was given to Sarah. Abraham's first son was by Hagar, an Egyptian. Joseph is ruling and ruled over Egypt. He's ruling in this passage and the uh, passages that we're going to be looking at. Joseph would marry an Egyptian and two sons will come from that marriage. Ephraim and Manasseh, who were elevated to sonship in Israel's clan and became two of the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph, again, was married to a woman, an Egyptian named Asenet, and Israel would be made a nation in Egypt. And tonight, there's another little trinket that we're going to, (laughs) a nugget, if you would, that we're going to present to you. Now, according to the naming, and I wanted to go back to a couple of weeks ago, because we breezed through, and if I exhausted all of the possibilities of each of these chapters, we would spend an enormous amount of time in each one. But one of the things that I intended to bring out last week, not last week, week before last, and then again last week, and because I didn't put it in my notes, it just uh, slipped my mind. So this week I put it in the notes. Um, Several months ago, we talked about 
And those of you who've gone through the discipleship course, we talk about how we got the Bible. What we didn't discuss in those classes were how, how we got the names of the books of the Bible. And a few months ago, I think it was two, we actually began to lay out. That's when we were dealing with Pentecost. And there are myths that is incorporated in messianic teachings, just as there's myths that are incorporated in Christian teachings. And even it finds its way in the Hebrew roots. And one of the things we don't necessarily question, and that is the names of the books of the Bible. We just assume that Moses gave the Torah the name that they have. But what we find is that Genesis is not mentioned in the book, that Exodus is not mentioned. We'll find that the names of the Bible are given to the books or the names of the books of the Bible are given to the books by people that we may not necessarily know using formulas that we may not necessarily know or understand. And when we were looking at, for instance, Bereshit, Bereshit is a word that is um, considered to be Genesis in the beginning. However, we didn't point this out either, but because of where we are and because I'm, I'm doing it, the process by which the books of the Bible derive their names is unknown to us. And we just didn't, we inherited it and we use it. And I'm not saying that there's something wrong with it, but just as Genesis opens up with the beginning, John opens up with the beginning, but John is not called Genesis. (laughs) It's called John. And then John is not mentioned as far as the writer of John. It is believed that John wrote the book and yet it has the name John. I don't think John gave it the name. Matthew may not have given it the name. Mark may not have. So that process was done by people who came later and said, well, if Mark wrote the book, you know, the the letter, we should call it Mark. (laughs) Right. But then you go Acts and, and so on. But here in the first five books of the Bible, one of the things that, and people say, well, why don't you use the Hebrew name for the books of the Bible? <laughs> it's like, well, you know, I use the names that are presented to me. And this word Shemot, we're going to get into Exodus as we complete Genesis. And we're going to see that the Hebrew name for Exodus is Shemot. Now, what's interesting is that Exodus and Shemot don't even mean the same thing. (laughs) But Exodus is the English that is given to us from the book Shemot, which Exodus means departing from, and Shemot means these are the names. And so these are the names are the first few letters, and these are the names in the book of Exodus, which The theologians, whoever they were, Hebrew, Jewish, I don't know, decided to name Exodus after the first few letters of the book. Now, Shemot, the root there is Shem, meaning name. However, the story of Exodus, if we use that formula, begins in Genesis chapter 46. Because in Genesis chapter 46, verse 8, the very letters that are used to derive the name Shemot is in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 46. And these are the names. Now, here's the thing. When Moses was writing, Moses didn't use Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses wrote. He wrote scrolls. 
But somewhere along the line, individuals decided that we needed to give the names of the book. We need to give chapters and then so on and so forth. And so in Genesis chapter 46, eight, it says, and these are the names and it continues. And the name for the book of Exodus come from the Hebrew Shemot or Shemos, which is how it's pronounced in some translations, which in the English is translated Exodus. And Shemot is derived from the first few letters of the book of Exodus, as we know it, the root word being Shem, meaning name, indicating these are the names. And so this is how we get the name of Exodus, which actually we find in Genesis. And from this phrase, these are the names come Shemot, a.k.a. Exodus. So I just wanted to point that out. And you're going to find that there are a lot of pieces that are just right there in front of us that when we start questioning and there are individuals who have issues because I question, because I question. And today I believe this was the Holy spirit saying to me that there is a cycle. We experience that cycle in Christianity and we'll experience that cycle in, in the messianic in the Hebrew. And the cycle is children are come, they'll come in. We'll give them our version of the Bible. They'll grow up and walk away from it. And somewhere in the distant future, they return after the world and beat them and scarred them and, and all of that other stuff. And that's the cycle. And I think part of the cycle is at some point, our children see the hypocrisy of our walk, not the hypocrisy of the faith or the word, but how we live according to it. Now, what I found to be interesting is that my children still want to hold on to the things of Christianity, even though we've transitioned or I've transitioned into the Sabbath and keeping and understanding the commandments as father gives them to us. But you'll find that there are people who like holding on to the old. And so that cycle comes oftentimes because we don't have the proper foundation and the foundation of truth. Instead, we keep repeating and recycling. We repeat and we recycle the very things that we heard without searching them out. And when you begin to search things out, you'll find that the things that we've been told don't necessarily always line up. And people have a problem. Listen, growing up is you don't question God and you don't question your parents. Now, what's wrong with questioning our parents? And there are individuals who question God. It wasn't questioning as to challenging is questioning as to derive understanding. How will these things be? How will I know? There is nothing wrong with questioning our faith, questioning our religion, questioning our belief, because if our belief is built on fact, it's not going to change. If our belief is built on truth, it's not going to change. The things that change in our lives is when we start asking questions about certain things only to try to find out its root and to come to realize that the things that we have been taught may not necessarily align themselves with what is written. And we know that there are many of us who have practiced things based on what we've been taught that don't line up with what is written. And so when people question us, we should be able to give them fact. Listen, the faith is not something that cannot be explained. We can live it. We can explain it and demonstrate it. But in order to do that, our walk, our words, and our action must align. And so there are things that we've been given. There's nothing wrong with questioning them. I don't have an issue questioning. Matter of fact, I ask a lot of questions. And I'm glad I do. I ask questions while I'm researching. 
because the things that I would come and present, if I didn't ask questions, that I've been corrected before getting here. And I'm thankful for that. Because if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves repeating the things that we've heard as if it's the gospel truth without even researching it and find ourselves bearing false witnesses. In Genesis chapter 47, one, it says, then Joseph came and told Pharaoh and said, my father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds and all that they have are come. Now, remember in the last chapter, Pharaoh sent wagons. He sent food. And now that they've come, Joseph comes and he says, they've come out of the land of Canaan and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took some of his brethren even five men and presented them unto Pharaoh. Now, when I read this, it's like, okay, five, there was how many of them? Well, there were 11 of them who came, right? Plus Joseph, who was 12, but he chose five. Now the Bible doesn't tell us what five he chose or why he even chose five. And so I'm searching around. Why, what five did he choose and why did he, did he only choose five? Why didn't he bring all five of them? Now, of course, there are commentaries out there that, that will answer those questions. But here's what I, I have a few versions or translations. And when I'm in the, the Torah, especially, there are two sources that I'll, I'll generally look to outside of the other various translations. One of them is the Samaritan Pentateuch. And the other is the Maserati or Maserati. <laughs> what is it? Masoretic. The Masoretic text of Maserati. Anyway, when I look and I'm looking for that particular verse, it says in the Samaritan text, it states best. And it took five men from the best of his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. And I'm sorry, not the Masoretic, the Aramaic. In the Aramaic text, it states, and he took five men from his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Now, these are the two. And then in, in, in one Hebrew, Hebrew version that I read, it states that from the least of his brethren, he took five men. From the least of his brethren, he took five men and presented them to him. And though I didn't find the reasoning or which five he took, I did have that question. And I'm sure one day father will answer it. But he presented these individuals to Pharaoh and these five, Joseph had rehearsed what to say to Pharaoh in the previous chapter. Remember in chapter 46, he says, now, when Pharaoh asked, now the question is, is how did he know Pharaoh would ask that particular question? But what he did is he prepared them. It's like, you know, a good attorney prepare a client before they go before the judge. You know, you want to make sure that you got your, it's not like we're trying to tell you what to say per se, but want to make sure that you say this, say this, and Pharaoh here, or Joseph, rehearsed with his brothers, and he told them in chapter 46, verse 33, and it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you, when Pharaoh shall call you, and shall say, what is your occupation? That you shall say, thy servant's trade has been about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. So here's what he said. Now, listen, when you go to Pharaoh, I want you to tell him this because I'm putting you all in the land of Goshen. So in order for me to get you in the land of Goshen without it being a problem with Pharaoh, this is what you say. Because Joseph knew for every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Now, it appears that Pharaoh's sheep, goat, cattle are in the land of Goshen. That's the area that it seems that the animals and the shepherds of Pharaoh would be. 
Verse three, and Pharaoh said unto his brethren, what is your occupation? <laughs> so now they're in chapter 47. Pharaoh asked, what is your occupation? And they said unto Pharaoh, thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. They said moreover unto Pharaoh, for to sojourn in the land are we come. For thy servants have no pasture for their flock, for the famine is so in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, we pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And so the five brothers specifically requested to dwell in the land of Goshen, as Joseph had instructed, in order to be near him, not to mention it was the best of the land in the region. In verse five, it says, And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are come unto thee. Now, here's the thing, because as I'm going through and I'm reading, I'm inquisitive. The Bible tells us that Joseph was in charge. Joseph was the Lord of Egypt. Joseph ruled over Pharaoh's house. Joseph ruled over the land. Joseph was like Pharaoh. And then it says, and, and Joseph went out. Now, as long as Joseph was in, in the capital, uh, he, he rode second chariot. But it says Joseph went out from Pharaoh. And we're going to find later that he's, well, he was given a wife named Asenath, who's the daughter of the priest of On. And so now, Joseph goes out and Joseph takes up his dwelling in Goshen. Now, Joseph could have lived anywhere in the land he wanted to, right? Pharaoh didn't tell Joseph where to take a house, but Joseph chose Goshen. When Joseph moved to Goshen, now his family has come and where does he want to relocate them to? Goshen. Pharaoh said, the land of Egypt is before you. The land of Egypt is before you. Anywhere in the land, in the best of the land, make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen, let them dwell. So what does Pharaoh say? Pharaoh is saying that for what they do, this is the best of the land. And if you know any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. Pharaoh has not only made Joseph rule, ruler over the land, he's saying, listen, if there's people among your people that know, and it seems as if these are the experts, make them rulers over my cattle. So now here come the, the Hebrew people into Egypt. He didn't already place the Hebrew over all the land. And now he's about to place Hebrews over those who were over his cattle. This is favor. Joseph determines ahead of time and led Pharaoh to agree and approve. Now, so I asked, what is the significance of Goshen? What do we know about the land of Goshen? And here was to my surprise that the land of Goshen may have been part of the land promised to Abraham. Remember in Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, it says in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying unto thy seed, have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates from the river of Egypt. Now, this river here, all scholars agree that this river is what? The Nile. So, my next move was to find out a map of Goshen. <laughs> the word Egypt, Mitzrayim, is called the land of the Copts. This is a recent because the Coptic religion is associated with Egypt, a country at the northeastern section of Africa. 
Now, in the early days, that definition wasn't there, but it's been expounded on. Most people didn't know that Egypt was Africa, adjacent to Palestine, and through which the Nile flows, through which the Nile flows. The inhabitants are natives of Egypt. And here's the land of Goshen. Now, if you look, and this is over to the far right there, you'll see Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. You'll see the Mediterranean Sea. Now, sea and river are two different words. Goshen here, and I know if you notice in the red, there is a Nile, and the Nile is like a double straight. In other words, it, it runs from two different directions, but then it converge right there by on and Cairo. And then it comes into one, and that is Egypt. Now, if you go all the way up to the right, you'll see the green, which is Goshen. Above Goshen, you'll see Zoan. That seems to be on the other side of the Nile, the east. And then you'll see Pithon underneath Goshen, Ramesses, and then you'll see On. Now On is where Asenath came from. Her daddy was the priest of that city or priest of On. And he was a priest under Pharaoh. And we're going to find out later that all the priests were given, just like Jehovah gave the priests specific land in Israel, that the priest had specific land in Egypt. And so I point this map out to show you Goshen, because Goshen is on both sides of the Nile and in between the two where the Nile converges to become one. And it's important for us geographically to identify because if in fact father said that he gave, gave Abraham the land from the Euphrates to the Nile, then this Goshen, especially west of the Nile, would have been part of the promised land. <laughs> huh? Well, I think, is it east? He's going toward where? Okay. Yeah, because it seemed like toward the Euphrates, and I, I could be, I'm not always the best at directions, but it seemed like they traveled east from the ark. Now, it may be anybody got a map or directions, and maybe it's east, but right now, to me, it seems more west. But again, now, if you look at the Euphrates River, and that's where Abraham crossed over. That's where Abraham crossed over. Now, I know m many people want to use the Jordan, but Abraham was from the other side. <laughs> and so from the Euphrates, and then if you follow that red arrow, it goes through the land of Israel as we know it today, but it is the land that father all the way to the Nile. Now, now some tried to confuse the red sea with the promise, whereas the word for sea and the word for river is different. It's not the same word, not to mention the fact that Abraham went into Egypt his feet tread in the land of Egypt and the promise that father gave him was, let me jump over to that real quick. If I can, maybe I didn't include it in my notes. I thought I did. No, there it is. I did. I read it already. What father said to Abram, he says, unto thy seed, have I given this land? And what is its boundaries? From the river of Egypt. Is that in your Bibles? From the river of Egypt. Did father give him that land? When he spoke that to him, he says, this is your land. From the river of Egypt, 
unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, the, the river Euphrates is not in Israel, folks. The river Euphrates is in Mesopotamia and part of Babylon. So from the, from the place you would say Abraham crossed over to the place Abraham went and became wealthy because Abraham became rich. Where? In Egypt. And again, looking at the map, Goshen on one side of the Nile would be within the proximity of the land that was promised to Abraham. Now, I know that that could generate some questions, but here's where our mind has been trapped. Our mind has been trapped in the idea that Israel is this little slither of land, formerly part of Canaan. But how many of you know Canaan was wider and broader? Because even in the land of Canaan, only certain tribes, they only overtook certain tribes as we're going to get into Exodus. Israel never took all the land that they were promised, but that didn't negate the promise. And here's the thing that we have to be mindful of, that we don't fall short of the thing Father has promised us, that we don't narrow our focus. When Father has said, listen, I've given you this. We shouldn't be comfortable until we have accomplished what he said. Otherwise, we will find ourselves narrowing the focus to what we can handle. Instead of allowing father to put on us what he see our capacity is. And if you don't think you've got the capacity, one of the things that I've had to pray is father increase my capacity because my mind, my mind is limited by my own limitations. And so we have, because people want to talk about the land of Israel. Well, maybe all of the land, what father said to Abraham is that from the river Egypt, from the river Egypt. So you can't get beyond that. At least from this river, now it's a matter of identifying the river and, and the Red Sea is not a river. Joseph chose that land to live in long before Israel and his children came to live there. Now, do you believe that Joseph chose that land on his own? Because after all, it was father who brought him there. It was father who gave him the interpretations of the dream. Joseph lived in Goshen over two years before, well, longer than that. Because remember, seven years before the famine. And then two years after the famine, before Israel moved. So we could safely say that Joseph lived in Goshen nine years before Israel got there. And he wasn't, he wasn't a farmer. <laughs> he wasn't a, a shepherd. He wasn't operating as a shepherd. He was operating as ruler in the land of, was it the land of the shepherd or was it just simply the best land? Because according to Pharaoh and according to Joseph, it was the best land. And one of the things that um, this map have a tendency to point out is the green. If you notice the green, this is called the fertile crescent. And the fertile crescent is the land that is typically easy access to water. And so where Abraham lived in, the Mes in Mesopotamia, and where he went to live in Haran, all of that is in the Fertile Crescent. All of the sojourning in the land that is called Israel, all part of the Fertile Crescent. Goshen, part of the Fertile Crescent. And around that is a lot of desert. <laughs> and so the best land is not necessarily the land with tall buildings. In this case, the best land, remember when Abraham's servants and, and um, Lot's servants got into it, it was because of having good land for their animals to graze. 
having access to water. And anybody who understands survival knows you can't survive without having access to water. And in this particular case, everywhere Abraham went, we'll see that it was fertile and it was by design. And so Father, I believe, located Joseph there in anticipation for his brothers, for his dad and his brothers to come. The psalmist called the area the field of Zoan or Zone. In Psalms 78 verse 12, marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zone or Zoan. Goshen would later be called the district of Ramesses. Goshen was also occupied by others before Israel came to live there. It's wrong there, but there is there. Israel would spend the remainder of his life in Goshen. The children of Israel will live the remainder of their stay in Egypt, in Goshen, until their departure. Now, there were some questions because I was, man, I'm telling you, questions was coming to my mind over and over. And part of it is because I know the outcome. I know the end. I know the exodus. I know the departure. But there was a few questions that I just couldn't shake. I'm going to let you in on them now, but I'm going to deal with them later on as we continue. In Genesis chapter 47, verse 7, it says, Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. The word there, to bless, kneel, to bless, to be adored, to cause, to kneel. And at the the last line there, it talks about to praise, to salute, to curse. The uses of that word five times it is used as salute. Now, it is common that when you come into the proximity to meet someone, you greet them. And this word bless, although it could be used for a variety of things, here we find that Israel is going to bless Pharaoh when he comes in. And he's going to bless Pharaoh when he leaves. So the logic for me is this is not one of those lay hands and speak a blessing over as much as it is salutation, a greeting. Hello, how are you? I am nice to meet you. Small talk was nice to meet you. See you later. That's how I see this conversation. The Hebrew word could refer to a greeting or salute as Israel would greet Pharaoh when they met and he would greet Pharaoh again when he departed from his presence in verse 10. It is like saying hello and goodbye. In verse 8, and Pharaoh said unto Jacob, how old are you? Now, remember, Jacob here should be Israel. The writer goes back and forth, or the translators go back and forth. Nevertheless, when Strong's look at the translation, he gives the definition of the word Jacob. And when he look at the translation, the word Israel, he gives the definition of Israel. So Strong's is not going to say this should be Jacob. Strong's is going to give the definition of what he see in the King James. And so I have to take this to the translator. I have to take this to the interpreter. If father said his name is Israel, why is it that you're calling him Israel in some spaces and Jacob in other spaces and going back and forth as if you confuse? Because part of the confusion therein confuses the reader. And you'll go back and forth to where you'll ignore the fact that father said his name is Israel. And so Pharaoh said unto Israel, how old are you? And Israel said unto Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. In other words, I'm 130 years old. Few and evil 
have the days of the years of my life been? Sound like something somebody else said. Job, man born of a woman is a few days <laughs> and full of trouble. You know, as I think about that and I look back over my life, I'm 62 years old now, and that's a lot of days. That's a lot of days. And there are some days that I can remember and reflect on that make me smile. But for some reason or another, it seems as if I spend most of my time dwelling on the, the days and the things that, are, that don't make me smile. I think it's those, those things in our lives that bother us, that upset us, that we spend more time thinking about. And I, I wonder sometimes why. Why is it that I have a tendency to dwell on those things that doesn't bring joy, that don't make me smile, and dwell on those things that take the joy away? And I catch myself doing that. And I have to work on, I have to work on staying joyful because I have a lot to be joyful about. But it seems that those, I see the old adage, the squeaky wheel. It's the squeaky wheel, y'all. There'd be a lot of squeaking. <laughs> but if we would take time to appreciate, because there's a whole lot of, in life, in our lives, to appreciate more so than the troubled days. Because I mean, when you look at Jacob before he became Israel and after he became Israel, he had a lot of stuff to be grateful for. He had encounters with the Almighty. He had the Almighty speak to him. He had the Almighty direct him and guide him and protect him and provide for him and keep him. I mean, in this particular case, he gets to meet the most powerful, well-known person in the world. It would like for some people to be in the presence of the president, in the presence of the pope, in the presence of the, the new world order leader, or whatever is <laughs> going on. But he's in the presence of the most powerful person in the world at the time. And he says, my days have been um, a lot of trouble, a few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. And yet I've not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And so Abraham, according to Genesis 25, 7, says, the Bible says he was 103 score and 15. So what is that? 175 years old. Isaac was 104 score. So he, he lived five years longer than Abram, Abraham. And Jacob, now he turns around in verse 10, blesses Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. So he again, he, he greets him, salutes him, bless him and departs. And in verse 11, and Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. And notice what it says in the best of the land. Now here's one of those places because at the time the land is not called Ramses. And I believe that the psalmist tell us what it was. Zoan. it would later become Ramses uh, because we're going to see that in Exodus in Shemot. And these are the names. And then in verse 12, and Joseph nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. And so, as I was mentioning earlier, there were some questions that I, I don't have answers to. I'll tell you that right now. And I can't help but think because part of my prayer is, Father, teach me, show me, help me to see what you want me to see. And so one of the questions that I had is, we know that according to last week, 
Israel didn't want to go to Egypt. Father appeared to him and says, don't be afraid. The very fact that he says, don't be afraid indicated that, that he was afraid to go to Egypt. Now we know that when we look, when we get into the latter part of this chapter, he's going to make them swear not to bury him there. Then when father said, don't be afraid. Then the second question that came to me is how long did he say they were supposed to be there? Now I know what he said to Abraham. I know what he said to Abraham. He said to Abraham that they were going to be afflicted and he was going to deal with those who mistreated them. And then he brings them out as we're going to see, as we go through Shemot Exodus. Why did they go to Egypt? That's the question. Why did they go to Egypt? Why? Anybody? Well, he went to Egypt because there was a famine in the land. That was the primary motivator. They were settled. They were settled in the land where father told Abraham. And then later he told Isaac not to go to Egypt. And then he tells Israel to settle. This is the land that he's going to give them. And when the famine hit, he sends his sons. He didn't go. He sends his sons. So if they're going to Egypt was because of the famine. Why were they so long in Egypt after the famine? Now that would be illogical to fulfill prophecy. I think they got settled there too. I think that they got there. Life was pretty good. <laughs> they were the best of the land. It, it appears they may have even forgotten about the promise of Abraham, the promise of Isaac, the promise even of Jacob, because we're going to see that not only did Israel want his body returned, but Joseph wanted his body returned. Why? Because he wanted Israel specifically wanted to be buried in the cave at Machpelah. Joseph didn't want to be left in the land of Egypt. He knew that Jehovah was going to come and get the children of Israel. But if he knew that, and they knew they were supposed to be in Israel or in the area that Abraham had designated in the sense, why were they in Egypt all those years? Again, we're going to say to fulfill prophecy, but I suspect, I suspect that we can get comfortable in an area, for instance, the Bible says that this is not our home, but we can identify with the geography. We can identify with our homies. Now, if this is not my home, who is my homies? Homies are the people that I grew up with. Homies are the people from where I'm from. But if I'm identifying with homies and identifying with the place of birth, then am I inadvertently identifying my home to be here when I'm told that this is not my home? Can I get comfortable in a place that is not my home? Can I become part of the fabric of the society in a place that this is not my home? Can I get caught up and all of the activities of the world's affairs and the world's events and all of the issues in the world, in my geography, knowing this is not my home. Can I lose sight? Can I lose focus? And if I lose sight and if I lose focus, what do I do? Assimilate. The moment you assimilate is the moment you become like your environment. The moment you assimilate is the moment you identify yourself as part of a group. And there is a lot of assimilation going on. There's Baptist assimilation, Pentecostal assimilation, Messianic assimilation. 
American assimilation, African assimilation, Democratic assimilation, Republican assimilation. There's a lot of assimilation that is going on. And once a person assimilate, they become like their environment that they've assimilated in. And this is why I'm asking the questions. Because the children of Israel became like the Egyptians. They became so much a part of Egypt to where hundreds of years, hundreds of years, the famine was a far gone memory. And I suspect that if a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph had not rose up, <laughs> they'd have still been in Egypt. When we become part of the fabric of our society, even though father bring us out of it, the mind is still a part of it. And this is where the renewing of the mind must take place. If the mind is not renewed, even though we've come out of it, we're still a part of it. We become double minded and we must be singleness of mind. And there's so many things in society, in life, that causes us to be double-minded if we're not focused on the author and finisher of our faith. And there's a lot of lessons we're going to learn from the children of Israel in Egypt in the next few chapters before Father decides to say, okay, y'all, it's time. It's time. Because if if I don't get y'all out of here now, none of y'all going to be saved. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>